You're listening to Bring Me the Axe. I'm Brian White, one half of this morbid equation, and I'm joined by my co-host and actual brother, Dave White. Dave, how you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, you know what I did last night? What was that? I went to see Stevie Nicks. No shit, because... Uh, <laughs> did you? Because uh, Delilah was there. I, I had just learned that this afternoon. Yep. Um, it was It was an experience. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that she fucking rips. She was great. Um, I will never go back to Gillette Stadium for anything. I don't blame you. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a thing because they all went to that Taylor Swift nonsense God too, damn. and it took them it took them like three hours just to get out of the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, it was that. Like yeah. it, it, it took like an hour to find the fucking car. That's crazy. Did did you stay for the whole thing? We left about. I don't know, six or seven songs into Billy Joel's set. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you something right now, and maybe this is a hot take. Billy Joel's music is cheesy as fuck. Yeah, it is. It is. It, is. it really is. At, at one fan. point, at one point he was he was playing a song called Zanzibar. Yeah. And I actually leaned over and said, this song is fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't I don't like hate all his music, but most of it's Really, it is like white guy jazz. It's really, really corny stuff. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna tell you, like, I'm not terribly sympathetic towards the stuff that people consider classics. I'm just not a fan. I don't see the appeal, no, at all. And and no. it was, it was like, you know, and I'm I'm used to going to very small uh, musical events, and this place obviously is enormous. It's a football yeah. stadium, um, I, and it's people just fucking wandering around. Like, like, like during the performance, like it's like, like it's a county fair. They're just sort of like walking around uh, a lot of really drunk wine moms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like people just, people just trashed. Yeah. I think the last time that I was there was 20 years ago, 20, maybe more than that. And it was one of those big, like radio station festivals. Um, and it was. It was white people just letting it all out and lots of vomit, lots of vomit, lots of sexual assault. Um, Not not my scene was Was this Woodstock 94. (laughs) No, you'd think it was. No, it was one of those WBCN like river rave things. It was one of the most fucking hedonistic, just satanic shows I've ever been to. Yeah, when when the South Shore does it, they really go wild, apparently. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But I got Uh, to see the cult. So that was a thing. Well, they're pretty great. But as for me, I am going to stay out of the goddamn suburbs. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, they're dangerous. I do not belong there. (laughs) Uh, so we practically grew up in neighborhood video stores and the steady diet of utter garbage that those shops provided us with continues unabated to this day there's no one else i enjoy chopping it up with more about trashy movies and dave just before we get into it here's a little housekeeping if you want to keep up with us between episodes you can also find us pretty much on all the socials by searching bring me the axe horror podcast uh you know honestly we're mostly uh active on instagram these days seeing a lot of seeing a lot of action over there Y'all are a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, you can find us at uh, Bring Me the Axe, and uh, Dave's got one at uh, That Queer Wolf. You can find us both. We have, uh, we have a good time. And uh, we've also got a sweet website at bringmetheaxe.com. You can listen to all of our past shows there and read the transcripts. And you can also contact us directly at bringmetheaxepod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Do let us know if there's a movie that you love and would like to hear us give it the business. And lastly, if you like what you hear, 
you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll be doing us a favor by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also do that on Spotify now, uh, which is very helpful. Uh, just want to get that all out of the way right at the top of the show. So this, tonight, we're bringing you one that we have been looking forward to for quite some time. I right. fucking love this movie yep. so much. Yep. And we're actually, we're and this isn't being done in a vacuum. Like This is a bonus episode, but we're doing it. Uh, in in celebration of uh, is it Hispanic Heritage Month? Yep. 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 Because and, tonight's uh, movie comes I, from Mexico. I'll tell you what. I think we should just say up top. Uh, big shout out to Vinegar Syndrome for for bringing these Mexican movies, you know, to the American audiences to cleaning this shit up and to getting a lot of bonus features on these discs because this is not the only one. They have put out some real quality stuff. It's like they got their hands on like a shitload of it, and we're like, okay, we got we got to put this stuff out, because uh, yeah, uh, all of a sudden, like all of a, all at once, there was like a bunch of these, and it's not just uh, uh, restricted to Ruben Galindo Jr. Like there's also Renee Cardona and uh, a couple of others in the mix, and uh, it's it's all uniformly fun. Yeah. So let's give him a let's give him a taste. Ooh. Give you a little taste of what's what's going on tonight. <laughs> Are you ready, Michael? Yeah. One, One two, two, three. three. <laughs> Promise never to play with the Ouija board again. Oh, oh my God. Hey, you guys. Maybe he's right. We shouldn't play this game. Tony. <laughs> God damn. Bitchin' Tony. Oh. Yeah. Tonight's tonight's movie is Don't Panic. Uh yeah, this this is one that until you mentioned it, I had never heard of this movie. Um, which is actually not entirely true because this this showed up, I think, uh this this was in the mix in I think the last of those in search of darkness documentaries, and I think Right around that time, you were also like really getting into this one. Yeah, he because he put out uh, this is uh, Ruben Galindo Jr. put out three uh, kind of three horror movies. He doesn't really do horror anymore. He does like it looks like just mostly television, but he put out three horror movies in like a span of, I think, three years, like back to back. And this is the third of them. It's the only one that's in English. Um, Well, wait, I think Grave Robbers actually came out after this one. Because it? it was well, this know, was, cemetery. This was shot in '87, but I don't think it came out until '89. Oh, all right, yeah. Because everything, because I have this listed as a movie from '87, but that's that's. I think it, In Search of Darkness places it in '88. Everybody else says Jesus Christ, just fucking throw a dart. I guess I know, I know. But yeah, because because what is it? Cemetery of Terror came out. Yeah, and then this one falls in the mix. I think in the middle between that and then Grave Robbers. Yeah, and they are all. Uh, 
they're they're basically just knockoffs of kind of a popular American tropes, I guess, yeah, more than yeah. movies themselves. He he Galindo Jr. seems to be a big fan of Evil Dead because that just pops up in all of the movies. Oh, and Nightmare some, on Elm Street. And Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Because this this movie that we're gonna do tonight is basically uh Nightmare on Elm Street two. Kind of, yeah. Kind of? I mean, yeah. Okay, so as usual, a warning before we get started. We're going to talk about this thing from beginning to end. Spoilers to follow. I don't know if it really matters if we spoil this one. No, this movie makes not a lot of sense. You are going to walk away with more questions than answers. It's so much much fun, though. So, like we said, the year was 1987. So, some other movies released that year were A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Uh, Also, The Gate which I watched just recently for the first time, probably since I was like 13. You know, I did too, like six months ago. Yeah, yeah. And I was surprised by how well that movie holds up. And it also, does. You know what doesn't? The second one. I've not ever seen the second one. I, I, I think when it comes to horror movies, I tend to go into sequels. Unless there's something like really well known, a brand that I can trust, I tend to be a little jaded about them. Like I stayed away from Return of the Living Dead Part Two for until I think about this year because it's fucking I just, terrible. Because I suspected that there was no way it could ever live up to the energy of the original one, and it misses by a fucking mile. Yeah, same kid yeah. though in that one. Yeah, in the yeah. the gate. Uh, well, actually, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, that's right. Also, Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks is in it. Yep. Uh, let's see. Also, Prince of Darkness, hell of a movie there. Also, Hellraiser, Evil Dead Two, and one of my favorite, Blood Rage. Ooh, That's not, not cranberry sauce. sauce. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cast and crew. Uh, the director, like we said, this is Ruben Galindo Jr., who's the scion of the Galindo film legacy. His father directed some of the final movies in the El Santo series. He spent the bulk of his career directing, like, tough guy action movies. Uh, His son, however, was into horror movies. And he made a handful of them in the 80s with titles like Cemetery of Terror and Grave Robbers. There's also, what's that one uh, about the rats? Uh, Demon Rat? rat. Demon Rat? Yeah. It it, it is not, it does not hold up as well as these do. No, no. They're all, uh, I think all of them except Demon Rat are on Shudder. And Demon Rat just, uh, Vinegar Syndrome just put that out. That one, I think, is shy. It has a very different vibe. It's a lot more like post apocalyptic sci fi oh, yeah. than it is horror. And I, it's, it looks to be shot on video, which I, I mean, I'm not always opposed to video, but it gives it a very different feel. Particularly video at that time. Yeah. It just feels cheap for one, no particular reason. Yeah, there's a bunch of horror movies that were shot on video at that time. And it was kind of um, novel, like uh, J.R. Bookwalter made a bunch of movies like that. And, and while they're charming, there's something about the way that just a shot on video horror movie looks that turns me off. Also, the early 90s are just fucking ugly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just everything about it is ugly. It was like, I don't know. Yeah. Everything looks cheap and terrible. Yeah. But uh, the all the all the movies, all the Galindo Jr. movies that are worth watching are on Shutter as of this recording. Uh, I recommend them. They're they're all yep. a lot of fun. Uh, nowadays, he produces telenovelas, which is and I know, think a, like a like a kind of like a Mexico's Got Talent kind of game. It looks show, like yeah, it looks show. like he does. It looks almost like like telenovelas. I think if you work in film and video in Mexico city, you're going to work on a telenovela. Cause it's like, it's like Degrassi in Canada. It's just something you fall. You, you just cannot avoid. 
but yeah, it also looks like he's doing a lot of like, um, so you think you can dance kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. The cast is, uh, well, the, a bunch the, of people you probably never heard of. <laughs> no, nope. So uh, this movie stars John Michael Bischoff, who is a total cipher. I, I have tried to find information about this guy and he is a mystery. I know nothing about him. Information about him is really hard to come by. But between 87 and 91, he acted in, wrote, directed, or composed music for Galindo movies. And then he fucking vanishes. It sounds like he was doing commercials before this. Uh, that would make sense. Like commercials in Los Angeles. Because like before he was doing. Because he, we should say he is the only one that is not Mexican. He is American. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's he is a, a big white guy with YouTuber hair that kind of like broccoli curly thing going on. It is a, a curly mullet. It is it, a big blonde curly mullet. Yep. Uh, but also, I I think I found him on Instagram and uh, he, it seems like he joined just a few days ago. <laughs> he's got uh, one post. He's got one post. And uh, that's. That's it. It's about livestock. So maybe he's involved. Yeah, maybe he's in, involved with uh, with livestock these days. But yeah, he, or maybe uh, he's just an enthusiast. Maybe <laughs> he just likes hanging around like livestock yeah. auctions. You know the way those guys rattle off the uh, the auctioneers. I don't blame them. It's like hip hop. It also stars uh, a woman named Gabriella Hassel, who back in the day she screamed and ran around in terror in a handful of Galindo produced horror movies. A couple of years after this one, she appears in Vacation of Terror. Fantastic is, film. Yeah, which is directed by Rene Cardona. Um, uh, Rene Cardona Jr.? The third. The third. Yeah. Right. Junior is 70s. Right. Because, they, they, again, like... Animal the, killer. Yeah, like the, <laughs> like the Galindos. Yeah, it's like a family business. There's also um, there's also Vacation of Terror 2. I like Fucking the great movie. I like so the, good. I love the second one better because it's way goofy and very, very silly. But and it f- makes zero sense none whatsoever. But the first one has is like a is like a horror movie version of the Chevy Chase vacation movies, where it's about this guy who like inherits a summer home, and he just wants his family to go there and just have a really nice time, and he will not hear any of this shit about the place being haunted. It's. <laughs> Really and interestingly, funny. so it's basically a ripoff of that movie, Kathy's Curse, yeah, like yeah. a cursed doll. Right. But interestingly, his father made a movie. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's in one of those uh, Rene Cardona collections from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, and it is it has a very, very similar premise. It is a haunted doll killing people. Uh, it's well, I mean, we keep going. Modern filmmakers keep going back to that fucking well, too. Like, what's the there's like there's like 15 Annabelle movies. Yeah. And you uh, know what? Uh, haunted dolls, they're not scary. Not scary to me. Nope. Not scary to me. Nope. Whatever. It's like clowns. People are like, oh my God, clown. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. So uh, nowadays, she unsurprisingly acts in telenovelas, which is what uh, basically everybody in Mexico does who's who's acting. Literally everybody. Yep. Uh, I think, I believe you're you're legally required to at some point. Passports, yeah. you have to be in one episode. <laughs> yep. She's, she's got a look. That uh, I don't want to. Bold. It is a bold look. <laughs> it's, uh, she's got. Can't look. tell what we're dancing around. Eh, I think you might. You might get it. <laughs> I just. I don't dare. I don't dare pick on a woman's appearance because I, that well, is. I, I mean, you don't need to talk about is, anybody. It is a. It is a lot of choices that are being made uh, vis-a-vis her appearance. 
that uh, are not related to beauty necessarily. <laughs> it's just she's got she's got a look. It's very funny. And then uh, <laughs> rounding out the cast is a man named Juan Ignacio Aranda. He plays Michael's best friend, maybe uh, Tony, and he remains fairly active in Mexican TV today. Also, Gabrielle uh, Hassel is also still fairly active. So apparently the woman who played the mother in this was quite famous. Or I don't know what she was in, but but she was like the bigger get. For oh, no, the big get for this movie is an actress named Helen Rojo. She's and the mother. No, no, no. She's the teacher. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So, so. She's in it for like five seconds. Yeah. So her big thing is by this point, she'd been acting since I think the 60s. Her real big claim to fame is she plays Doña Inez in uh, that Her- that Herzog movie, uh, Ag- Agare, The Wrath of God. Oh, the one that uh, almost got him killed. Yeah, yeah. Or so- uh, alternatively, saved his life. <laughs> true, true as well. Also, um, like a lot, like a lot of people, like in this movie, like she's still acting. Her whole thing is soap operas, like like everybody else, but like she's been in a bunch of stuff and it's not just like the bulk of her career obviously is, is, is spent in Mexico city, but like she's done a lot of stuff in, in the United States as well. Um, so yeah, she was kind of like um, the name they could put on the, on the poster, but yeah, she plays, she plays the teacher. Uh, so some notes. Um, the movie is known in Mexico as dimensiones ocultas, which means hidden dimensions. There's a lot of weird, like kind of wild, impressive stuff about this. Um, they shot it in Spanish and in English, like yeah. shot for shot. Like they would do one and then do the other. Yeah. Um, the one, the peanut butter solution is the same way. There is a French version and an English version. And it's yeah. not, it's not just a dub. It's two different, two separate movies that they just did shot, shot for shot. So um, I did, uh, I don't know if you watched the, on that, that, um, uh, Vinegar Syndrome release, there is an interview with Ruben Galindo, and he talks about why. So, the most notable thing, or the most, I should say, the most noticeable thing when you start this is it is the least Mexican looking cast yeah. and the least Mexican looking environment that you would probably see in a Mexican movie. And he explains why that is. Well, he, I, I got, I think I have note about that is that. This was a deliberate attempt to break the to break into the yeah. international market. But he says because the Mexican film industry had basically it was dying at yeah. that point. Like they just nobody was making new shit. There was no ways to get it out. Uh, you know, it, it, at the time people didn't have a lot of money, so they weren't going to the movies. It was, it's kind of interesting. But he said the one thing is even though they they all look uh, white, if not American, but mm. the American is kind of implied. Um, it's, he said it wasn't it wasn't in, really intended for American audiences. It was really for uh, international audiences who wanted American looking movies. Huh. Yeah, because like because oh, even when you watch like shit from Italy, like their stuff also a lot of the time looks very American. Yeah, yeah. Like unless unless they're making it a point to like feature Rome as a as a feature, like a lot of them, particularly in the seventies were very deliberately attempting to sort of like make their movies look less Italian. And like, I think that's why a lot of, like a lot of them all of a sudden just sort of pop up, take place in London. And a lot of those, uh, uh, those German creamy films also do that for the, for the same reason that like they, they don't want to be seen as German. They want to sell to international audiences. So they set them in London. 
What I always love about that is though, even though, uh, and I don't, you don't see this in, I think this movie necessarily, but in a lot of movies, when they sort of do that, uh, embracing American concepts the cultural things it uh often comes like they get it they get it on like a basic level like the obvious level but it's seen through like a very different international lens so it comes off as really uncanny a lot of the time and that is you there is a lot of that in this but. yeah it's a little wobbly for sure like because the ver- actually so the very first version of this that i watched and this is why i texted you earlier about this is the version that they're running on shutter and i also i think it's the blu-ray also there's this voiceover at the beginning where yeah. he's like, so here's me in Mexico city. Yeah. I told you it's very like uh, picture it Mexico city, 1987. Yeah. But the version that I saw originally did not have that. And it goes. And the, so without it, it's almost like it's going out of its way to sort of mask the fact that it, ta- that it's shot in Mexico city. There's even a scene a little ways into the movie where he like, he's woken up by the radio and the announcer is talking about uh, traffic in the Southland, which is supposed to communicate this uh, this notion that you're in Los Angeles. Yeah, you're definitely not in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they uh, they they cast white people, or or more significantly, Mexican actors who could pull off the white people look, and they had to be fluent in English. But you can also tell that there's a lot of dubbing going on in this oh yeah i feel, it feels like the entire audio for this was um like it was either dubbed or at some point um you know re- recorded elsewhere because it just doesn't fit yeah it gets it's got that quality also where like you could tell that there's like one guy doing a couple of of characters like whoever voiceovered michael's father i think is also the same guy who does that fucking cop because they both have this oh, kind great. of yeah they kind of got this like jersey accent thing going on and also all of Gabriella Hassel's lines. Yeah, no shit. Cause she needs to back up off the microphone. <laughs> She's yeah, it's, it's a riot. So um, special effects were all done for this by screaming mad George. Now it says they were all done by screaming mad George. I find that hard to believe because screaming mad George is a, a, uh, a person of a certain quality. And you can see that in some of this, but in not in all of it. No, I think that, uh, uh, they probably had a budget to sort of do some of the more hero shots. So all of the kind of evil Tony stuff toward the yes. end, um, I think is, was his, his stuff. It looks like screaming mad George's work. Cause there's yeah. also some other stuff in this movie that looks like somebody on set just like slopped fake blood around. Yeah. Like the front projection, um, screen stuff that they do, the, the kind of nightmare ripoff stuff. Yeah. That is also him. I yeah, yeah. So uh, up to this point, um, Screaming Mad George's credits were, uh, or his big credits were Predator and Big Trouble in Little China. He go on to do on some real nasty, gooey work in movies like Bride of Reanimator and Society. He's a guy whose work I really like a lot. I find it kind of weird that he doesn't get really much talk. There's not a lot of chatter about him. Uh, he but- is extremely enthusiastic. I love him when he's he's like in any those... interview you see. He is so fucking happy to be talk- just to be talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's in those in search of darkness uh, uh, docs. And I, I love it. He's he's I would describe that. That's his affect. He is very enthusiastic. So let, I found 
I found it really difficult to sort of gather any sort of information about this movie or Galindo in in general. There's not a lot of biographical information about the guy. And I kind of find their whole thing really fascinating because, like, it seems like for genre movies in particular, like action movies and horror movies, like Galindo Productions were kind of the only game in town. Like, you worked for yeah. those guys. Because like like those vacations. and it sounds like they were all just friends too. Like it yeah. wasn't like a, a thing where they were really built. It wasn't like um, you know Dino De Laurentiis in the in the early eighties. Like this is just a bunch of dudes. This is more like an indie project that you'd see in like the U.S. in the late nineties, early two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Because like their name is all over those vacation of terror movies, um, and I'm sure you know their names are are on those on the movies and those those Cardona box sets that Vinegar Syndrome's got as well. I also, I mean, it's like, this is a thing that, you know, much like myself, I think people are just kind of getting hip to a lot of this stuff now. Yeah. So the fact that you can't find much on it is probably just because it's Mexican. God, it's so weird because they're just right next door. Yep. Yep. Oh, well. So let's get into it. Uh, we open on a voiceover that sounds suspiciously like the beginning of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's also super vague and gives you nothing to work nope. with. There's a door that takes you to another dimension. Once you step through it, there's no return. That's true. You got to watch it. The door is one way. But uh, yeah, that's my that's our our main character, Michael, whose voice is really, really weird. <laughs> yeah, everything he does in this movie is this one strange choice after another. I am dying to know how old he was when he made the movie because Michael's supposed to be 17, but he presents as like 35. <laughs> so here's what I here's my understanding of this. He. This was as much Galindo as it was the guy playing Michael. They wanted to make him seem younger and kind of look younger. We'll get to that when we talk about the, the pajamas. <laughs> um, the most the most notorious thing about this movie, but yeah. we'll get to that in a minute. But he wanted to make him seem younger because it kind of ups the stakes a little bit. Yeah. By making it seem like a big thing to kind of this uh, almost insurmountable thing for a young person to go through. But the, the way that they decided to go about that, rather than cast a younger looking person or a younger person, was to go out of their way to make him feel young. And it doesn't quite work no, because it, it just feels really weird. It just it, it comes, makes for some incredibly awkward moments. It comes across so strange because his voice is kind of like this. It's got this like kid quality to it. Yeah. And everything has this like youthful ex like excitement. Yeah. Even though it's like, you look like you're in your early 20s. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So um, Michael tells us in a voiceover that he used to go to Beverly Hills High, but his dad's work uprooted all that and sent him and his mother to Mexico City for the rest of high school. Um, it's also his birthday and the party is just getting over. And it yeah, looks it's very much like 16 candles <laughs> moment. There's just tons of like weird voiceovers and like people making out in cars yeah. out in front of his house. Like, what the fuck kind of party was this? I've got a note that says it's like a 16 candles party. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, I'm surprised there wasn't like a fucking pizza on a record player or something. Like it's just <sighs> like, it's just like that. Like he's, he's seen his friends out and like two of them are like hoisting another one of them because he's too drunk to walk. But then we find out like his mother's in the house the whole time. Yeah. Well, speaking of too drunk to walk, here comes <laughs> drunk mom right out of the gate. <laughs> Yep. So he's like he's like walking around through the house like in the dark and he's just surveying the damage. And his mom is right upstairs, probably drunk. Uh, and the whole place 
just looks like this like i said it's like the aftermath of the 16 candles party like we're gonna find uh, uh anthony michael hall like under a glass table at some point but it's also like it, it looks like they rented this place for however long it took to shoot this scene yeah and then they were just fucking out because this they, there is like no furniture nothing on the walls <laughs> it's like like an episode of cribs yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, so he's wandering around the dark for some reason, and there's this spooky sound that he hears. It sort of sounds like a dog growling. Uh, but then he gets. So, yeah, what is that? That's uh, that's that's Tony. You know, he's. Okay. Well, here's the thing I, we should say right now. Like our last film, this movie drops you in, and, and it's as though you've missed a big chunk of the story somehow. Yes. And you're never going to get any explanation. So I've got a note about that, particularly in this in one of the scenes coming up, because it seems like there's a whole lot of this that's just missing. So yeah. Yeah, like it's like it's not as though like, oh, they just never shot it. It's almost like you feel as though they just left it out, like they forgot to cut it into the picture. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 Michael is basically ambushed in the dark uh, by a dude who turns out to be Tony, who might might be his best friend maybe his Tony, best you friend? son of a bitch because it's really hard to tell because well, it, it kind of the whole that whole moment so it's this big group of friends led by tony and the whole thing is really antagonistic yeah like tony is basically just like he kind of jumps on him and it's real like yeah happy birthday happy birthday man happy birthday fucker <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, but at the same time, Michael's a real bitch. Like he's because well, that one girl is like a big surprise, huh, Michael? Yeah. It's like what you fuck you people showed up to my fucking house. They they break in. They fucking break in, and then they're like, we we wanted to give you your birthday present before we left, and he and he goes, you could have done that tomorrow. <laughs> he's not wrong. It's true. Yep. Also, is is Tony supposed to be in high school? I see. Okay, because he looks like he's in his early thirties. He's has chest hair for days. Let's. Like, I, we're gonna talk about Tony because Tony lives in a bachelor pad, and then whoa. another, and then <laughs> does a, he ever? And then another one of of Michael's friends is like a third shift phlebotomist. Yep, and a high school student. Yep. So I just the, the lives of these teenagers is mysterious. So so yeah so so it's this. This whole setup where the, it's like five or six of them are just bitching at him and like really inconveniencing him. It, truth be told, I'd be fucking mad, too, if I just like got all these people out of the house and then they broke back in and we're like, Damn, hey, this party is depressing. As like, hell. Like, hey, fuck you, man. We want to give you your present. Yeah. But then and it's not even really a present. No, it's it's uh, it's a goddamn it's a demon. It's a goddamn nightmare. So, but like he's he's really really mad until uh, a, a girl sort of rises mysteriously from behind the furniture, and that's uh, that's, that's <laughs> is is she supposed to be a surprise? Because she just like it's like she comes in stage left from the floor. Well, after everybody else has revealed themselves, they're like, "Here's your birthday present," and she sort of like emerges from the furniture and it's it's and the question is is she the birthday present <laughs> nope no nope. because that's weird yeah, no she's she's uh she's the new girl you know alex you remember her from school that's uh gabriella hassel uh and uh and uh and she's got a pretty intense unibrow yeah. Yep. Yeah, she really does. It's, it is unfortunate. It's like baby Gerald, unfortunate. <laughs> I was gonna say baby Gerald. Uh yeah. So so Michael sees her and becomes love struck. 
immediately. And so it's all good. They can all hang out now, you know? And so even Tony, your best friend, who's also a huge piece of shit. <laughs> Tony, yeah. And maybe also kind of drunk. Tony is, is as we find out, Tony's quite drunk. I, I will tell you right now, just, just the way that this guy plays Tony, his face alone has, makes oh God, me so happy. His laughing face is the yeah. best. I'm because gonna, he is this entire scene. He is just lit up from the moment he is in the shot. And he, it is like he is about to laugh in the, the douchebaggiest way yeah. possible. I'm going to screenshot it and put it on the Instagram because it's just that good. Every time it comes up in the trailer, I it, it fills me with joy. <laughs> he does it. A, and he does it a bunch, too. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's like a real Steve Martin in the 70s, kind of like yuck, yuck, yuck kind of face. Yeah. Yeah. So so Michael's whole thing is is he's not mad that they're that they broke in. He's mad that they're going to wake his mom up or something. Yeah. And she's going to be you know, pissed because they do they cut to the mom who is looking forlornly at a photograph of her and her husband. And then, <laughs> and then ominously over to the bottle. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just, like, just so you know, she has a drinking problem. It's a photo. It's a photo of her. And she is, uh, she's, she's there like clung to, uh, an elderly gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, but then she, but then we cut to, uh, her other, her other object of desire, which is like a bottle of vodka across the room. Honestly, it, given the choice, I would go with the bottle as well. <laughs> yeah. Cause that dude which eventually is, this, shows up. This is when Tony makes that real shitty comment about, he's like something about your drunk mom or something oh, no, like yeah, that. Cause, it's like, cause damn they, Tony, they, they offer, they offer Michael a drink and he, he's like, he refuses it. And he's like. He says something like, why you don't, you don't want to be like your mom upstairs or something like that. But he's still got that like goofy grin on his face. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know, man, that that's a lot. That's, that's not a joke to, to be nope. laughing about. To that's to that's to I'm going to call that Tony face from now on. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah. It is the best part of the entire movie. So, uh, yeah. So, so Michael's father, where is he? Why is he not here? Uh, could, could it be of the look of longing she gives to the distant bottle of liquor? I suppose we'll find out. I don't think because I would like to know, like, where where is this guy exactly? Because apparently he like uprooted he shows them. up at the end. Yeah, yeah, but like he uproots them from their life, sticks them in Mexico City, and then vanishes. So yeah, uh, 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 yeah, it's the it's the alcoholism as we find out. So back downstairs, they've got Michael blindfolded, and they get his present ready, which at first glance. Uh, Appears to be two large candles stuck into Coke cans. Yep. But and these are not uh, birthday candles at all. These no. are just regular candles you would put in a candelabra. Yep. Or except in this case, the candelabra is empty Coke cans. Yep. There's a lot of empty Coke cans in this movie. Yep. Well, what is more American than Coca-Cola and Marlboros? <laughs> I know. Yep. So so the present is revealed to be a Ouija board. Which and it Tony pisses Michael this, off. Tony thinks this is the funniest fucking gift ever. Yeah, because because Michael blows out the candles. He pulls the the blindfold off, and Tony is doing Tony face like like waiting. a like a fucking hyena. He is cackling away. Yeah, he's waiting for Michael to react, and which and Michael, Michael does, does react. So he throws it at him. He throws the the blindfold at Tony, and he goes bitching Tony. So good. The it best. Line. Best. It is the best fucking line. I have that. Saved in my phone. Just that <laughs> it is right up there with how do we know she is alive? Yep. Or 
bastards. Yep. Also got that one saved in my phone. Yep. Oh man. But yeah. So so he so he, he sits back down and he says, "You promised we wouldn't play with the Ouija board again." Why? Okay. I'm listening. What happened last time? Will we? You're never gonna know. Wh- I. It would be helpful. Yeah, it certainly would because it seems plot critical. <laughs> we don't know. And and here's the thing: when a Ouija board shows up in a horror movie, it's a uh, it's in it's, the first act. In the first act, you might get the feeling. By the fifth act, that might, Ouija board is gonna go off. You might get the feeling. Yeah, guess what? Never comes back into play. Because like this was the this was like the high age of Ouija board horror movies. Because I think I think Witchboard came out the same year. It might have been the year before. And there were there were a couple more. And also Ouija boards have been in horror movies basically since The Exorcist. So it feels like it was just a convenient way to kick this off. But when you see it, you're like, oh, shit, this is going to be a big deal. Yeah, because they're like, hey, remember the time we did this and summoned some kind of demon and it was big and terrible? Just tell me the fucking story so I know what's going to happen because it is clearly important to the rest of this. Yep. You feel as though they just left it out. They forgot to tell this part of the story because he's like, no, we can never do it again. You promised. But then they sit down to use it again. It's yeah. like, I don't know, Michael, your resolve's a little bit shaky on I don't. Yeah, I don't understand it. I, I it's a thing that like kind of bothers me. I wish I knew what the deal with the with the, the Ouija board is because they may as well be like tr- get, fucking look right down the barrel of the camera and be like terrifying. Right. Audiences. Yeah. Remember when that happened? And you're exactly. like, no, I don't. Right. So everybody continues to bust Michael's chops and Tony gives him shit about his mom being a drunk. And then Michael relents and tells Tony, to, you know, classic best friend stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Just you know how you're always fucking with each other. You're always at each other's throats, and you're about to kill one another. Best friend shit. So so yeah, you were way more fun before you had AIDS, <laughs> right, buddy? Yeah, my God. So I mean, but this is like you might think that we're exaggerating, not by much. So Mike Michael relents and tells Tony to summon his spirit buddy Virgil. With the board. Is this before or after Tony freaks the fuck out and screams, shut up, everybody? No, that's, that's afterwards, because he starts to do it. He, so he sits, he starts at it, and they put their hands on the planchette, and he's like, Virgil, Virgil, I want to talk to you. Virgil. Which I believe that is how you, that is how you summon the devil. Oh, yeah, you like, say, uh, you say, like, hey, 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 Satan, hey, Satan, Satan, hey, 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 over here, yep. what, what are you, what are you doing? Hey, what are you up to? You, you watching a movie? What, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, hey, Virgil. Yep. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, you you up? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so an attempt is made, but nothing happens. Which, of course, everybody is like, everybody just turns on Tony. They fucking hate it. This is crap. They all say like a bunch of times. And that's when Tony is like, These, they're really aggressive. They're all really aggressive. This is written like it's written by somebody who's never interacted in a friendly manner with another person. Really? Yeah. It's like, were you ever a teenager? And if so, did you have friends? <laughs> Probably not because this is how this person was treating them. So, so yeah. So there's more. Chop busting, and they're like, hey, Ouija board, uh, who here is in love with Alex? She's like, uh, you're so gay. Come on. Yeah. She does the, uh, but also, yeah, like everybody's like making making fun of, of Michael at first because he didn't want to use this. And she's like, hey, 
maybe he's right. Maybe we shouldn't play with this thing. Like she just takes his side. And of course they're like, yeah. ah, you suck. And then he freaks out. He's like, why don't you tell him that Virgil is the devil? I'm like, why don't you tell me who Virgil is? <laughs> exactly. Because it seems like there's an entire act of this movie where Virgil was contacted and he revealed himself to be the devil. Because that's exactly I mean, for fuck's what sake, the, the tagline for this movie is forget Freddy and Jason Virgil's the newest nightmare in town to which I say, who is Virgil? Yeah. Guess what? Never going to find out. Eventually. Michael's mom busts in, breaks the whole thing up. And uh, on the way out, everybody's like, ah, get a load of this guy. He believes in the devil. Ah. <laughs> and like two You're of them- in Mexico. 78% of that country believes in the devil. <laughs> I know it's very serious business. Um, so like, yeah, as they're on their way out, like t- two of the guys like grab the bottle of liquor, like pour it all over the Ouija board. They're like, Hey, yeah. devil, Hey devil. And like I- all over the floor and shit. <laughs> just the most inconsiderate people in the world. Yeah. I think I get why he's mad that they just barge in with their witch board and start pouring alcohol all over the floor. Yeah. Cause who, who do you think is going to have to fucking clean that up? Not them. Not mom, I can tell you that much. Nah. She's upstairs making poor choices. <laughs> yeah. Good God. Uh, so now Michael's mom kicks everybody out, and we learn that dad doesn't come around much, like ever. Yeah. He's a deadbeat. Yep. So the next day, Michael is late for school, and he is stopped at the school gate by security, who he bribes into letting him in with a nudie magazine. That, yeah. old, that old trick. What? When he's just like, ah, nobody gets in without a pass. Oh, yeah? Not even for this? Yeah. The latest porno magazine? Uh, yep. Why are you giving an adult man pornography? <sighs> well, uh, have you ever seen, <laughs> have you ever seen um, Lady Terminator? No. There is a scene that's uh, a lot like this where, like, the the security guards show up and they they hand them their like standard they got their uniform they hand them their standard like little machine pistol and then like every one of them gets uh, like a a porno bag to to be distracted at while uh, the lady terminator breaks in and kills everybody so like this is like a common trope apparently well so this uh, this whole moment in this this is very uh, breakfast club yeah, I, I have. And they actually, even do the Breakfast Club slide in the, the hall. slide in the hallway. Yeah, so like, yeah, because this apparently this school takes tardiness very seriously. Very seriously, because there is we learn via a crudely made sign that late students will be expelled from school. To illustrate is, this, we get a montage. A that's a lot. Like you, you could do a lot worse, but that seems very intense. Like, do not be late for class, or you are out of here. Well, Michael's going to risk it. He's going to risk it because on his way through, like sneaking around school, trying to get to class, he runs into Alex. Who is apparently also tardy. Yep. Can't be that big a deal. No. She she didn't have to give anyone pornography to get into school. Probably not. Though I got to wonder like what her, what her, her sort of currency was. Yeah. So, so instead of going to class, he asks her to cut school and have breakfast with him. Would you like to have breakfast with me? And then. A they, montage in which they do everything but eat breakfast. Yeah, they make a they make a day of it. There's no yeah, breakfast. Here's some things. Here's some things. They buy some Mylar balloons, which she later uh, lets go, and they watch as they float away in awe, like they had no idea that that's what was going to happen. If they let go. <laughs> uh, let's see what else do they do? Uh, they get they get uh, they they're, they're, they're photos ta- novelty yeah, they photos the, taken. No, yeah, fu- uh, funny funny hats, and they're riding fake donkeys in those pictures. Pretty yep. great. They feed some ducks. Yep. 
they eat giant bowls of melted ice cream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which oh. he watches her eat the ice cream like he's never seen anyone eat ice cream. Before. Mouth agape. Yep. And then they feed each other ice cream in a very awkward and uncomfortable moment because it's melting. Yeah. Also, you don't do that. No, she makes a face, actually, as he like basically shoves the spoon into her mouth, almost like, ooh, you got me there. Like, I wasn't expecting Ugh. that to happen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then you're thinking, oh, well, maybe now they're off to breakfast. Nope. Now they're off for a boat ride, for boat ride. Uh, where they row around a very crowded lake. Like everybody, uh, in, everybody at the plaza is yep. is rowing boats today. And uh, then they smash their faces together in what I think is supposed to be a kiss, but it does not look like that. It just looks like they're slamming their faces together. It's like a like a five-year-old took two Barbies and was making them kiss. It's kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. it looks like teeth collided. Ugh. Yep. And that oh, is a breakfast yeah, date. There's also like a really jaunty tune uh, that sets it all up nicely, which as we're going to find so out- fucking strange. Yeah, we're going to find out all the music in this movie was composed also by John Michael Bischoff. And that was part of the deal. He said he would he would take the role, but he wanted to do the music too. And I guess Remy Glendo was like, sure, I guess. Fine. <laughs> I, and you know what? Thank God he did. I love the fucking theme song. It's, it sounds like I recorded it and uh, I have no musical ability. So. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 placed like um uh, like Angela's theme from Sleepaway Camp at the end, where it just kind of plays over the credits. But it's, except it's, that was written by a professional musician. <laughs> oh man, Ish. I love it! I love it. So yeah, so so next we we cut to Tony's place. Yeah, that fucking meanwhile, back at Tony's SRO. Yeah, where which we find a teenager who, by all appearances, lives in an apartment. Decorated by tacky '80s posters. Yeah, this time. is all the hallmarks of American youth. Yeah, you've yeah. got Marlboros, you've got Coca-Cola, you've got Duran Duran, you've got a poster of some ass. Yep, yep. Uh, and, and so the thing is, is, is the Marlboros and the Coke cans aren't just like around; they're strung up like a beaded curtain. Oh, I thought they were like nailed to the wall. No, 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 because they 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 hang like on strings. Uh, but like in a doorway. I think that's even weird. Tony's house is like a scene from leaving Las Vegas. Like it is just, <laughs> it is dark. It's yeah, it's dank and smoky. And, and and even like to back up that assertion, we are introduced to Tony now, uh, uh, shirtless and hung over a toilet vomiting. Yeah, it looks like violently. he's had his head in the toilet for like the entire evening. Yeah, yeah. Tony is is uh, he's he's apologetic about being a drunk asshole at the party. Uh, and he's also apologetic about making cracks about uh, Michael's mom's drinking problem. But, but you know what? Michael doesn't have any time for that because he, he just cuts him off. Cuts him off. And with this fucking grin on his face, he leaps into his bed. And he wants to tell him about his, quote, date. And he's just like, oh, boy, she was the best, Tony. She's just so great. Oh, boy, I like her a whole lot. Yeah. But I don't know what to do Meanwhile, with her. Meanwhile, Tony's looking like a, like a half dead. Yeah. Yep. Do you think Marlboro paid for uh, for placement? I, this? this movie had a budget of three hundred thousand dollars, so the answer is no. Because didn't. Because here's the thing: there's a shitload of Marlboro. There's tons of it all yeah. over this, like in 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 a very deliberate fashion. Which maybe yeah, it comes think, back later too. Yeah. 
And then he says, remember that girl, Alex? And it's like, you mean the one that he showed up at your house with last night? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think he remembers her. Yeah. And referred to her by name several times. Yep. And and, but this now now Tony reveals this like romantic side to him. That is Tony, you sly old dog. It is very, very strange because for also amidst this just room of ruin. Yeah, I was going to say a quick question here. Why does Tony have a bouquet of roses, fresh cut roses in this fucking shithole apartment that he lives in? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's like, he so so Michael's like, oh, man, I really like her, but I don't know what to do about it. And so Tony's solution is he's like, listen, bro, you got to give her a rose. Yeah. yeah, not just any rose, not just any rose, though, the rose. And he picks one out of this dozen. Also, why are they under a blanket? Well, he throws his shirt over them at one point. Don't know why, but he does it. <sighs> And that's when he says, and he says, and you're going to give her this rose and you're going to tell her that as long as there's love between you, this rose will never wither. Damn. Yeah. So, uh, that is, that is, that is some Billy Joel level stuff. <laughs> yeah. This, and this just like, this is like a 180 from the Tony that we saw the, the, the night before we get zero Tony face. Yeah. Remember, remember Tony, the drunk shithead. He's gone. This is this is uh, Tony, the hungover poet. Apparently, drunk Tony is an asshole because this guy, he's all right. So that night, this is really like the last Tony that we get. Yeah, because right after this, like the mayhem starts. So that night, um, as Michael sleeps restlessly, a monstrous bloody demon hand punches through Michael's ceiling as he sleeps, and drips blood all over him. And uh, this is when we get those pajamas. Yep. So Michael wakes up suddenly, shoots up, and then we get a look at a certain set of pajamas that we're gonna that are gonna be really important to the movie. Not really, but if you know about this movie, this is the one detail of it that probably sticks out to you the most. I gotta know. Like I know that I know that you kind so of. So he purchased these. Oh Jesus! So I, we should say these are. I don't know where he would have found them because these are the style cut and design of uh, pajamas that you would put on like a six-year-old boy. Yeah. They have like cartoony kind of blocky drawings of, or uh, I guess, drawings, I guess. Like, yeah. Of, like, like illustrations dinosaurs. of dinosaurs in like and, primary colors, but they're like that real shitty, like um, flame retardant fabric uh, from the eighties. Like it, they're, they're, they're like, you know, they're cheap kids pajamas. I don't know where he would have found these, but apparently he was like in Los Angeles and bought them. And he was like called Ruben Galindo and he's like, hey, I got this great idea. And I guess Ruben Galindo was like, um, OK, I guess. Sure. <laughs> um, because he was they were like, it'll it'll help to make him look younger. But it's like, no, it helps to make him look crazy. But it also becomes kind of a running gag in the movie. Yeah, because the fact that these that these these pajamas exist at all are really kind of weird because like they're in an adult size. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so. And he wears them the entire fucking movie. Like I would say he is wearing them in this movie more than he is not. Yeah, he goes out into the world in these 
all the time. Oh, several times. Yeah. So uh, when when Vinegar Syndrome put this movie out, they they such as they do with with many of their movies is they released a very like a limited number of them with like a certain like collectible item. And the collectible item that came with this movie was a set of those pajamas. Yeah. And, and I, I would have done any. I, a couple of years ago, I was at the archive in, in Connecticut and I asked them if they had them. And they were like, no, those have been gone for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I looked, I looked up just to like try to see like somebody must be selling these things on eBay or something like that. Nope. No. Nope. Now, who would part with these? I exactly. So chic. They're so chic. They're the best. They're the best. They're the funniest quality of the entire movie is you're going to watch for 90 minutes. You're going to watch a grown ass man uh, thrust himself about uh, Mexico City by night wearing a, a, a pair of children's pajamas. It's so for an unreasonably long <laughs> segment of the film. Yep. So. So. Yeah. So on top of all of this, um, Michael has a, has a vision of one of his friends, one of the people from the Ouija board party uh, being murdered. This is like the first nameless guy, right? Yeah. Like, I think they say who it is later on, but like, who fucking cares? Because they blow through the first couple of these people real quick and off camera. Yep. And so, but also Michael has these like red monster eyes. He does that thing where he shoots up suddenly and it's like that close up on his eyes. And he's, and every time he does this, he like puts his two, like two fingers to the sides of his, like to his temples, like he's channeling something or he has a headache. He's professor X. Yeah. Yeah. And they look like the, the contacts. like this is what 87, like, you know, those are those fucking hard contacts. They probably hurt a lot to wear. Yeah. yeah. So the next day at school, Michael uh, prepares to give Alex the rose, um, but she's in the cafeteria with some douchebag hanging all over who we're going to find out is named John. And John is going to be antagonistic for a good deal of time. But right now, Michael is defeated and he walks off alone. But Alex follows him and then they sort some shit out. Yeah. And she has. There he is. He's standing. He's sitting there in one of the classrooms, sort of like. looking forlornly out across the, I don't know, the quad or something like that. And she comes in and, you know, she says that I'm not interested in him or whatever. He was, he's just a friend or something. And he's kind of like huffing and puffing. He's, you know, being real kind of a child about it. And then she says, I love you. And I thought, bitch, you met him yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. But she also says something about, about John. She's like, you know him. He's just a smart ass. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. He didn't look at him like he knew him. Also, we don't know him. We don't know him either. We're going to get to know him. But for now, we don't know him. But yeah. She- and then they share a passionless kiss and he shoves the rose in her face. And then it's a hard, hard cut to the bedroom. <laughs> so, oh God, Michael's rose. For this, this what is perhaps the weirdest moment of the movie that is Full of weird moments. It feels, this feels ad-libbed to me. Cause like, it's actually not, but we'll get it. And then I'll tell you why it's not. Okay. Cause, cause what he does is she's in his room and he's got like model cars and he's got posters of like, you know, like exotic cars, like haphazardly. It's it's like really incongruous with the character. They're trying to kind of, uh, conceptualize here because they want him to appear young, but he has like 
mostly nude women all over his wall and he's carrying a porn magazine. Like this doesn't match with his reaction in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. But Which she- is yet another weird, like, gee, golly. Yeah. Right. Cause she, she's like, Oh, you really like racing. And he, he gives her this oh. line and the way that it comes off is, is yeah. like, like, I love it. Speed is, uh, I don't know. It's freedom. Yeah. It's a special sensation. It's like, the more you get of it, the more you want it. What? Yeah. Yep. He's des- he's, he's describing addiction there. So, But uh, he's got this fucking goofy, like, like, gee golly look on his face while he's, like, holding a model car. And she's like, oh, I love your room. What the hell is happening? Yeah, it's the same as, it's almost exactly the sort of same affect and delivery as when he was in Tony's room before where yeah. like all of a sudden like tony's just trying to be like hey man i'm really sorry i'm you know i was drunk and i was a dick and i didn't mean to make that crack about your mom and he's like yeah yeah, whatever i really yeah, like I this girl i don't want to talk about yucky emotions yeah it's like peewee Herman. yeah but uh you know what it uh, it works it wins her over because they are gonna do it this is the weirdest, most awkward sex scene that is so confusing and comes way out of nowhere. It, and it lasts forever. It is super long and it is very uncomfortable because these two have no chemistry. Done. Like, we are supposed to believe that, like, there's some sort of special magical bond between them because obviously they're in love. But they have zero chemistry. So they're, like, kind of flopping around on each other, awkwardly kissing each other. She's fucking getting fistfuls of that curly <laughs> Curly mullet is so, it is just too much. Yeah. It, yeah. Just, it is like one, it's easily one of the most awkward sex scenes I've ever seen in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't care for it at all. Later on now, Alex is gone. And Michael is back in his dinosaur PJs and he has the red eyes again. Do you think she like pe- just peeled those those dinosaur PJs off of him? Oh, she must. I want. I God, I wish that was in it because because there's something about like the way that they're portraying this character to see him in any state of undress is just really uncomfortable. Right, because he's he's supposed to present as very young, like no, naive and childlike, and it's like, well, then why is he fucking this girl he just met? Uh, that is not very childlike. No. It's like fucking, it's like the sex scene in fucking Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's like this, you did not need to do this. It does not move the plot anywhere. And now all of us feel a little bit dirty yeah, you seeing know, him mostly and, naked. And here's the thing is, it's not like, it's not like a sex scene in another like horror movie like this, where it's just kind of a cheap excuse to get a little, to get a little skin. This is, oh, a, this is love making. This is a very modest sex scene. It's um, like the uh, the sex scene in Mad Men with TP and fucking yeah, Gavin Ross's yeah. character where they're just like awkwardly circling one another. And then I guess that's sex? Yeah. Question mark? Yeah. So, so he gets the red eyes again, but now he's blind to his surroundings. And, and, and he does. This happens a lot in this. And yeah. he it is like you take away his sight and you take away absolutely every sense and sense memory he has ever had. Right. He turns into the baby. Like, he yeah. just flops. Yeah, he around. is fucking Helen Keller from the moment he his eyes go red. He flops around the set, and and 
But what's happening is the reason that he's doing this is because his his vision has been taken over by the killer's vision, and he's watching the killer kill another one of his friends. But this is his house. So, like, presumably, if I stood up right now and closed my eyes, I, I could navigate around my house without seeing. Yeah. Not, I would bump into things occasionally. But, uh, I mean, uh, sense memory would lead me about in a pretty safe way. This is as though he has never been there. He has never walked before. He doesn't know what his hands are for. <laughs> right, because his like, because he like drags his body along. It's like, dude, yeah, you, we, I know you can walk. You're gonna do it later. He drags himself to the bathroom. He tries to wash his face, but the to water the carpeted, carpeted bathroom. Oh, and I saw that and I thought, oh, oh god, the mildew. Because you know there's no fan and there's no exhaust fan in 1987 Mexico. Nope. Just musty. Got caught, caught, uh, it's a little off color. Yeah. But yeah, but like like I said, the water turns to blood and he, he looks at himself. He's got water, bloody water all over his face. Yeah, this has a, a kind of a poltergeisty feel to it. Yeah. Oh, the guy's just ripping his face off. Yeah, that's right. And his mother is outside, like, banging on the door. She's like, Michael, are you okay? Are you all right? Like, this goes on and on and on. Eventually, finally, he's like, yeah, I'm fine, Mom. Don't worry about it. Except he clearly is not. He is banging around in there, flopping around like a fucking half-dead fish. Yeah. Screaming about God knows what. Yep. So now the, the nightmare is over. He's seen another one of his friends get killed. and uh, But his eyes stay red for some reason. And he puts on a, a pair of like glass sunglasses to hide. Oh, you mean when he wakes up the next day fully clothed? Fully with, clothed. With sunglasses and a jacket on? Yep. He's got that uh that denim and like you get like leather patches on it. Oh yeah, that is a straight up Jordash jacket. Very 87. Yeah. Yep. So, and she says she wants him to take the sunglasses off, and he tells her it's sunglasses day at school, and then she shakes her head and says, huh. You crazy kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if this were my house, it's not you sunglasses. You kids always wearing sunglasses. It's not sunglasses day at my house. Get them off. <laughs> yep. So, so. With an effect taken straight out of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Direct rip. Except head. very badly done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, a head just stretches No up. offense to Screaming Mad George. No, I no. understand you're working with a budget. <laughs> yep. Head the, this head stretches out of the TV and um, this like very affected voice informs him that another one of his friends will die and that he has to save her. Like they don't have any trouble slipping in these fucking exposition moments left and right, but they'll never tell us who Virgil is or why they have any familiarity with him. No, no. As a matter of fact, we're going to go about an hour and some change before his name is even mentioned again. Um, yeah, because as, as important and as uh, delightful as Tony is in this movie, that's the last time we'll see him, like, pretty much until the end. Yeah. Yep. And when we do get him back, it's not the, it's not the same old Tony that I love. It's Virgil. Yep. I don't even know who that is. Oh, no, no, no. You know what? I want to I need to make a correction. Uh, Helen Rojo is you were right, is ah. she's the woman uh, who plays his mother. So, uh yeah, because yeah, Ruben Galindo is like, we were very lucky to get her. I'm like, okay, I guess. Yep. I think you were very lucky to get Tony, honestly. Maybe <laughs> those pajamas, but sure. Yeah. Oh, those I'm not from Mexico. Those so. pajamas were a godsend. Yep. I hope he. I hope he bought multiples. Well, he only wears one pair in this. It's like he has no other clothes, but I know he does. He has a Jordache jacket. Yep. Yep. 
sweet stonewashed jeans. So yeah, at school, Michael attends a class talking about, I believe, uh, the poet Shelley. Yes. And this is where he hallucinates suddenly his teacher warning him about Christy Higgins being murdered. So that's one of the other girls at the party. And then, and meanwhile, the teacher's like, "Does anyone know why Shelley went crazy?" Right. What right. class is this? Right. It has absolutely nothing to do with his poetry. Um, probably, no, had, probably had... his crippling fear of death. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I believe, I'm, and I can't, I can't tell because a lot of these girls kind of look the same. They're all dressed alike. Oh yeah, no. This scene is is also straight out of uh, Nightmare. Nightmare one, yeah. This is the scene when she falls asleep in class. Yeah. So I believe that's Christy who yes. he, he hallucinates. And she's just like laughing and looking at him and laughing and looking at him. And blood is just pouring out of her. And it's like, I, it took me a minute because I was like, who is she? Yeah. Because yeah. she's in the, she's in that scene in the beginning, but she like barely, she's the one who says the snotty thing about, uh, you know, happy birthday or whatever. Yeah. He wakes up screaming. Uh, does he? Because I thought it, he wakes up screaming in the in class or something. Yeah, but because um, this is when she takes him to the doctor, right? So yeah, but like at first, at there's the whole lunch scene. So all oh, right, because he's got the yeah, he's got he's got to blow off he's got to blow off his his new girlfriend who he loves, and so at lunch, Alex tells Michael that she wants him to meet her parents, but he shrugs her off, um, and he's being very very like. Uh, obviously it is, evasive. It is aloof in the extreme. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I really want you to come to have dinner and meet my family. And he's like, no way, baby. I got studying to do. Yeah. It's pretty much. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, baby. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, but I'm busy later. All right. Yeah. But he doesn't want to show her the monstrous red eyes he has. And uh, she thinks that, that he's blowing her off because they had sex and he doesn't want anything to do with her anymore, which is definitely not the case. But so she storms off. And then here comes John, the bully from the day before. He gives him shit about this, and then he breaks his glasses. John's pretty great too. He's he's like a second second runner up to Tony. Yeah, to John's John's a character because John is like an unhinged maniac for no particular reasons. <laughs> I've got notes about the way that he sort of presents because his like later on he is a gun wielding maniac just his, because like it's a normal thing dudes do. I know oh, his I intensity kinda. is fucked up because like he's got like crazy eyes and like his face is always like twisting in anger i appreciate it i think it's great yeah so yeah but now it's it's the thing with the broken glasses is fine because you know dude's eyes are are okay but his mom takes him to a doctor who tells her that he physically is fine but he's probably crazy and that it's the result of some kind of difficulty in his life and this is and my, <laughs> this is my favorite part this, of the there's entire, something you should know this is my favorite part of the entire movie hit it there's something you should know i have a drinking problem cut and this is right after she lights a cigarette in the doctor's office <laughs> Because she says this, and then we just move along to the next scene. Yep. So that so it's back to Michael at night. And these are the hardest cuts you can imagine. It's just like whiplash being yeah, yeah. yanked from one scene to another. No fade, no star wipe, just cut. So he's back in his uh, his his dinosaur PJs, and he overhears his mother pleading with his father to come come and see him over the phone. Back in his room while watching Cemetery of Terror, I might add. Yep. Michael angrily. For the first time, it comes back again later. Yeah. 
he angrily tears up all of his race car posters. And then he, he but like again, while hurling himself about the road, he's not just like clearing a table in some like uh 70s kind of way. He's like flopping around and leaping around and ripping shit down and throwing things. Yeah, he throws the 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 basket of laundry and like the camera emphasizes this because it's not the last time that the camera is going to like linger on the throne basket of laundry. Yeah. It's really weird. You could tell that like telenovelas really kind of played very heavily into the sort of the way that this movie is directed because all of the acting is so overwrought. Well, yeah, ev- everybody is at a 10 emotionally. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like Michael's mother will they'll, they'll have a cut where she'll be on her in, in a room by herself and she'll do a sort of thing where she's just sort of like looks off into the middle distance like haunted and then she'll like bring her fist up to her chest and like hold it there for and a you're minute. you're waiting for a musical sting that never comes. that never comes like no. that like you're waiting for that dark shadow is like cut yeah but nope nope just a cut and so so yeah this is when he he, but he doesn't have time to finish wrecking his room. No, because he's got to go out and warn Christy. So he gets out on his bike. He doesn't even have time to put regular people clothes on. Nope. Just goes out in his dino PJs. Yep. And uh, yeah, he rides around on his bike. And this is another one of those like prominent Marlboro placements where there's like a huge Marlboro sign uh, in the shot as he's riding. Well, I mean, this like I I don't really remember 1987 that well, but this I think in the U.S. they had. I mean, no, you could still advertise cigarettes. But Ad- now you don't, they're not allowed to advertise cigarettes. But like right. back then you could, and like there were fucking signs up in magazines and like everywhere for it. Oh yeah. But these are like huge. They're very big. It's like, these are just like, Hey, not doing anything today. Why not smoke Marlboros? Yeah. So, oh, oh yeah. And I forgot the, the reason that he suddenly feels like he has to go out is he sees a, uh, he sees a news report that is really fucking funny. Oh, this is where we get introduced to the cop, too. Right. So, so who has the, the greatest hair. It's so fucking funny. It's like he stole a wig from Rick Ocasek. It is a fright wig, like straight out of Party City. I bet you that's his hair. Oh, it, it is his hair. It's oh, look. It's, I mean, well, we can talk about it on Is It a Wig? But it, I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking great. But yeah, like the thing is, is the uh, the the. The news reporter is like, I'm at the scene of a murder where a girl named or like a boy named such and such was murdered and he was stabbed 13 times. And now I'm at another scene where a girl named such and such was also murdered, stabbed several like the, times. The two you don't give a shit about. Yeah. And it's like, and we believe that they're that these things are linked. Now, here's a cop who's involved in the investigation. And he's this. He's this cop who's very Mexico City, but the dub. But he's like, hey, yo, listen, okay? <laughs> yes. we, we don't know we don't know if it's uh, cult related or not, okay? We'll let you guys know. Yeah. God, it's so, good. so, so good. fucking great. That's the thing about this movie is it's tonally so fucking crazy. Like it's all over the place. There's gonna be a moment of just comic relief coming up in the near future that is just out of step with the rest of the movie. Like I cannot overstate how strange and just bizarre this movie is but it's also so earnest oh yeah like that that's it the is, thing is it is 100 endearing like i don't i do i like it, a lot of a lot of horror movies per, like most of them i would say are made by businessmen looking to make money and so 
you know, they didn't really get someone trying to like break into the industry. Yeah. Like horror is a cheap, easy way to do the thing about Galindo is I get the feeling that he was a, like very much a fan. Yeah. He loved horror movies. He he says it in that interview. He was like, I, he like blurted out one day to his father that he wanted to be a filmmaker. And then he was like, Oh, what kind of movie am I going to make? And he was like, well, I like horror movies and horror movies are, you know, pretty popular and they're easy to sell ish. Yeah. Especially to international markets. Yeah. So this is the moment when, when Michael's like, oh shit, I got to go save Christy because he keeps having these visions. And he, in order to do that, he has to get to the hospital because, you know, Christy's just working the overnight shift at the lab oh, at the hospital right, like you do when you're in high school. He, he finds this out because he doesn't know this. He goes to Christy's house and we find out that Christy's brother is fucking John. Yeah. Unhinged John. Who is, who's, he, he's constantly like, grabbing him by the lapels and like pulling him in tight and being like, look nerd. I don't have fucking time for this. Yeah. He has got eighties bully energy, like off the fucking charts. Yeah. And he does, he does something really crazy. Like at one point he, he, he says like, you must be out of your mind. I mean, look at you. And he does this yeah. thing where he like sweeps his hand up and I'm like, Oh, so he's the only person who realizes that these pajamas are really weird. Yeah, right. That even, even if he, aside from the fact that he has gone out in his pajamas, he's wearing the pajamas of a seven year old. Yeah. And then, but then he's like, now get the fuck out of here. And he does this thing. Like it looks like he's snapping his fingers. Just, yeah, it's got a real like smoke up Johnny kind of energy. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, also, John's hair is pretty good too. Yeah, it is. That is that is a, fe- a feathered work. Yes, it is. So, so this is a, from this point on, like Bischoff's going to essentially throw himself around every scene, screaming his lines. Like there is no room for subtlety. Um, the, you know what it does though. It makes the movie so much better. <laughs> it's very the way that he, he does it, too. It's almost like he's like he's trying to scream in a room where somebody was like, no, no, shh, shh, there's people trying to sleep because like everything that he does is kind of restrained. But it's like he's had a head injury and can't control the volume <laughs> of his voice. Yeah, yeah. He's got a very weird like, and, and it's that kind of or like control anything that he does because he does some crazy shit yeah. from here on out but this is when he arrives at the hospital and the sign says hospital but it's clearly just like black tape yes because it's kind of coming out like it probably says whatever the name of the hospital is but it's probably in spanish so it's like they just put like hospital but it's like they cut it out of like construction paper yeah like oak it, tag paper and it was <laughs> It's like it's like the uh, "Don't be later, you'll be expelled" sign that we mm-hmm. seen earlier. Very crudely made. Could you I, could you not have gotten like a dot matrix printer or something? I like, oh, I know, because uh, like I mean, I suspect that like I don't know, maybe it was covering up some like Spanish language stuff that they just. It probably was. It's probably covering up the name of the hospital. Yeah, because all of this is shot on location. Yeah. So so now Michael he gets the red eyes in the hospital. And he's trying to get in there, and the woman at the at the door uh, or at the you know the desk, very very reasonably is like, "Who are you? What are you, you can't doing just here? come waltzing into a hospital in the middle of the night in children's pajamas, sir." Yep. And so, and I say, "Sir," because you're clearly an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta find Christy Higgins. She's in danger. Uh, we gotta save her." Like he's he's it's very much like that, but like pitched way 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 up. And the lady's like, get the fuck out of here. I'm calling security. But like while she's distracted, he gets in. 
Yeah, but like before the elevator door closed, he gives her that kind of like uh, that like Robert Downey Jr. Like, what are you going to do? Here I go. Look. Yeah. <laughs> and we get this real Scooby Doo chase kind of moment now. Yeah. So so he's trying to get he's trying to find her. He's like running around the place. Um, we find out this is where we find out that Christy nominally a 17 year old is uh, like a professional hospital worker. But like, She's just running, running tests in the in the phlebotomy lab. Yep, as as one as a seventeen year old does. Yep. My God, normal Wednesday night. Yep, she's all by herself, and we're getting killer in a very dark lab. Yeah, turn a fucking light on. She t- she's she's all by herself, just doing her thing, and we get killer POV at this point. So she's being stalked, and Michael's got the red eyes, so he knows that 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 she is being stalked. But that is also never made explicitly clear. Uh, yeah, and he's the, this is like a like this is kind of an eyes of Laura Mars situation. Like it's just you kind of pick up eventually that he's seeing what the killer is seeing. But like it's never really clear that that's what's happening. I think. Yeah, I think that like I picked up on it fairly easily just because I think I had just watched like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 right around the time, which kind of is where he's p- p- pulling that from. Um where like Freddie is sort of emerging through, you know, the world. It's the whole thing is where he, it's like, basically the main character is kind of the killer sort of thing. Yeah. Once again, Michael gets accosted by security who he somehow convinces to like call the blood lab and like get her attention, but she's actively being stalked at this point and is hiding. And uh, it's all going but well. She does eventually pick up the phone right as the security guy hangs up. Yep. She comes out of hiding and that's all it took because she's going to get stabbed and stabbed and stabbed. And so uh, we see um, we see the killer's hand this time. He's got this like elaborate knife. Like, I don't know if we've seen the knife up to this point. But um, it, it, it's got it's, uh, it's a real like Indiana Jones design to it. Um, I had read that it's supposed to be patterned after the Kandarian dagger from Evil Dead, but okay. they don't really look alike. No, because this is clearly like a handmade in a couple of days thing. Yeah, yeah. Like they glued. Like I don't a, remember what it looks like in Evil Dead. I don't really much care for that movie, but uh, it it is a, it is like most things in this. It is a slapdash production. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like a like a toy. Um, and so if this is the part where Michael is kind of, again, he's like blinded by this effect. And so he's like staggering around the hospital and he runs down the hall. But also like he's being attacked by bees at the same time. <laughs> like he's just whirling and twirling through the hall. Yep. And, and he, pinballing off the walls. He comes around and there's these two nurses that he probably, it looks like he's about to navigate between the two of them. And he throws his arms out to either side to sort of, <laughs> to sort of clothesline them. And then, and then, like, yeah, they they see him and they see the red eyes and they're like, kind of scared. And he's like, "Hey, how do I get to the blood lab?" And they're like, "Go down there." And he's like, "Do I take the right or the left?" And they're like, "Take the stairs on the right." I love how specific this thing. Like, they they should just run away. Yeah, yeah. They're and very, yet they're like, "Ah, I'll show you." Come yeah, on. They're very very helpful. Um, but uh, Christy ends up attacked. And, um, so I. I looked up a lot of the people in this movie just to be like, what are they doing now? And I was really, really surprised by this one because 
she goes on to become um, sort of in the dying days of the of the WCW. She turned out to be one of Scott Steiner's valets, a woman named Medasia. What's the WCW? That was uh, that was oh, the wrestling. Yeah, that was the uh, the not WWE one. That was their big con- con- uh, uh, competitor at the time. So, yeah, she was uh, for a couple of years. She was like like a ring performer, not a wrestler. All right. She was like a valet. Get it. So uh, she ends up stabbed several times, and um, as they're hassling Michael, they hear he hears the scream in the distance. It's like shit. I didn't make it in time. Nope. No. So Michael manages to break away, and but now the killer and he could take the stairs. <laughs> nope. But so he goes another <laughs> route. The killer is chasing him, and so we see him in 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 silhouette. And I, I'll tell you what. As soon as I saw that, like the very first time, I was like. That looks like Tony's hair to me because it's that big, like rounded sort of feathered thing. Yeah. And then it turns out that it's it's that the killer is Tony, who um, it is Tony in some very strategically ripped jeans. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's his hair's all all grayed out now for some reason. And he's bloody and he's got this like weird voice. And he's like, hey, don't you recognize me? I'm Tony, your best friend. I'm Tony. And then we all say best friend i know what really i could have kind of a jerk could have fooled me so yeah they run around the hospital and michael's his means of exit is literally leaping headfirst through a window which is amazing because uh, for someone who cannot see is banging around the halls <laughs> and doesn't even know what floor he's on that seems real risky <laughs> Yep. Also, how did he know where the window was? Expertly executed as well. Cause he because he gets away. Um and he runs he runs home. And just as he's coming back into his room, his mother comes in and sees him like <laughs> st- standing on the on the This on is the- almost this is like a this is an they're all gonna laugh at you level of <laughs> excitement in this moment. Because he's he's not he's standing so the thing is is like this is much bigger than like if you think like a room in your a window in your room, you I, you're probably seeing this the is same like story. if a bay window could open. It's a massive window. Like it's a humongous window that he opens like a door and can walk out of so like he's coming in and her reaction like a hay bailing door (laughs) her her reaction is like no don't do it like thinking he's gonna jump out but again she's at a fucking 10 she's and he's just like i'm not gonna kill myself she's like you have so much to live for (laughs) it's so fucking weird because she like she's like oh thank god he's not suicidal but then he's like i keep having these visions and tony's murdering all these people so like he goes from suicidal to crazy again yeah, also, the aw shucks boyishness of this character is gone at this point, it, and it does not come back. He's Well, yeah, well, this is probably the last scene of it, because he, like, throws himself at his mother, and he's like, oh, mom, I'm so scared. <laughs> Look, are you? You just fucking hurled yourself out a window. Yeah. So, so hearing Michael's story, she does the only thing that a mother probably could think of in this moment. She calls a doctor. Well, I'll tell you what she does. She does what Nancy Thompson's mother does in this moment. Yes, that's right. She calls a doctor. The doctor uh, uh, shoots him up with a heavy sedative. And well, I'll tell you, he's not that uh, not that resistant to it. Nope. Nope. He, he. But I mean, if someone if someone said to me, look, I'm going to inject you with something. I'm not really going to tell you what it is, but you will sleep so well 
for like the next 10 hours, I would be like, great. <laughs> it could be fucking floor cleaner. I don't care as long as I get to just, just take a, take a few hours for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, now his dad shows up and this is exactly what she wanted earlier. She wanted this guy to like come around, see your son. But now that the guy is here, she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? We don't need you. And my note says, why does this obviously Mexican man have such a <laughs> pronounced New Jersey accent? Yep. Yep. Because it's the same guy who's doing the cop. Yep. And, and the dad is like, he, he's kind of like Tom Atkins looking, but like yeah. less rugged and more finance. Yeah. And it's kind of like, why are you even in this movie? What is this scene? This. Yeah. So the dad. But again, I think this is the fight that uh, was it Ronnie Blakely. And John Saxon have yes. in Nightmare. Right, because again, in Nightmare, Nancy's mom is a drunk. Yep. But like, there's a fucking... And they are divorced, and they have that moment where she like yells at him. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, the thing the thing is, is Nancy's mom is, is drinking away her guilt at murdering a person. Yes. Uh, this is just a woman. <laughs> this is- Nancy's mom is also a dangerous alcoholic who is... Trying to get her daughter murdered. <laughs> I and think, I don't think Michael's mother is quite there. No, no, no. She's just she's just an alcoholic. And they now, have- here's my thought about this, though, because I was thinking about this earlier, that the, obviously this movie is pulling from so many American movies. And this is a thing that I think a lot of international movies do when they're trying to kind of give the air of American films. But the problem is, it's like... Nightmare on Elm Street is a groundbreaking movie. It's also a very well-written movie. Yeah. Like it is a well-thought-out, well-executed film. It is, a, it is a cohesive story. It's got some fucking plot holes in it. And it's obviously very outrageous. But it is a, from beginning to end, someone thought this thing through. Yeah. What they're doing is just pulling disparate pieces from different movies and jamming them all together. And it's like, you're not, the, well, the one thing you're missing, you, you have the enthusiasm. It's Rob Zombie. You have the enthusiasm for what you're doing. And that is why I am so endeared. But you don't have the talent to pull it off. You have not written a coherent story. It is just a bunch of weird shit from other movies that you've mushed together. I Yeah, I would like to actually kind of, because this is not the first time we've seen this. They, they do, filmmakers do this shit all the time. My question is, to what purpose does it serve to just lift whole scenes from other movies. I think to be familiar. Uh, maybe. Because like this is very. But they also. They rushed through this movie. They sh- they made this thing in six weeks. Yeah. For $300,000. And it sounds like we are being very critical. I fucking love this movie. I think it oh, is yeah. so good. That's the thing. And it, this is better than 80% of the horror movies I've ever seen. I find myself explaining that a lot. Like when I talk about movies and when we do it on, when we do them on this show, it sounds like we're ragging on them or just dunking on these movies from start to finish. But the thing is, is like, we love these movies genuinely. Like this is, and this movie is, this movie was made with, with love for the genre. This is why I say I will always watch any piece of shit that Rob Zombie puts out because I have never seen a good one. I think his, I think he's a terrible writer. He's a decent director. Terrible film uh, film writer there. And I will keep watching it because it is made with love. That's all I really fucking care about. It is so much fun to watch. And there is so much garbage out there that gets the praise heaped upon it that it does not deserve. Yeah. And that is why I, I just want to make it very clear that while we are mocking this film, 
I genuinely love this. Movie yeah, like th- so this. Much. This comes from a like a very real place. Like I, when I when I talk about this, I'm talking from the heart. Like I fucking love them, but I also recognize how ridiculous they are. Yeah. and I and, and I and love them that, for that. In that interview uh, that I was watching with Ruben Glindo, you get the feeling that he kind of gets it too. Like he makes some comments about like. There's some there's some comedy like we tried to like have some lighthearted moments and like just to have a little fun with it and he was like but I also know that there is some unintentional comedy in it. I was like <laughs> some <laughs> okay yeah so he, you get the feeling like he also kind of gets like it's a little silly we didn't have like we were young we didn't really know what we're doing we had no fucking money and we were rushing through it so there probably did not take a lot of time to write a uh, very good descriptive. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that he's got a sense of humor about it. Cause like there are some, oh, yeah, guys... he seems like a really great guy. Like he, you, you get the feeling that he really appreciates film. He loves his own movies. He loves that people love his movies. He's so happy that people have found it. There's like video market really kind of found a new audience. So, you know, it's not, it's not like when you watch some of this shit and you're like, I love this movie and your heart is a little bit broken when you, the director's just kind of like, I don't know. I don't really remember it. Like yeah. we were just trying to make a fucking movie, whatever. Right. Like, um, I recently, I recently saw the, the troll two documentary and the one part about it that I think everybody who's seen it really kind of remembers is Claudio Fragasso seems positively insulted at the notion that the people like the movie for all the wrong reasons, which is wild because if you do not watch that movie as, uh, with a sense of humor, it is absolute dog shit. It makes no fucking sense. It is dumb as shit. Yeah. yeah. And it is, it is a terrible, terrible movie. And there's a reason why the fucking documentary is called best worst movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's get, let's get back to the movie here. So, so sorry, that was just my aside because I, I don't want it to seem as though we do not think that this is a quality product. Yeah. No, this is, this is a movie that I, I very sincerely recommend to people. I think everybody should watch it. It's wonderful. It's, it is there. It fills me with, with joy watching it. Like I watched it. And it is only going to get better. Yeah. So, Oh my God, because things are about to turn really strange. Um, while, while Michael's parents are fighting, uh, and, and an unseen invader like gets into his room. And again, it's more like POV stuff. And the, the implication here is evil. Tony has found him. But um, no, no, it, it turns out to be John with a shotgun who nope. intends to kidnap Michael. And so Michael being sedated ends up getting fireman carried out. Yeah, so he fucking just chucks him over his shoulder. Yep. And in the morning, we find out that John thought to make a person out of pillows. So that's Michael's my bed. question, because you see him throw him over his shoulder yep. and then exit through the window. Did he come? So that he means come that he either came back to put the pillows in the bed to make it look like a person. Yeah. Sort of a la uh, Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to see how many uh, teen eighties movies I can check here. Yep. Oh, we've got a few of them. What are we up to three or four now? More, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, when Michael wakes up, he's still in the PJs. He finds out that John intends to kill him because he thinks that he killed Christy. So uh, the only fair assumption. Yeah. So the only thing that Michael thinks to do is to tell him the story uh, about the uh, evil red eyes and evil Tony and the the visions that he has. Because that's gone so well for him so far. 
Um, so this is enough to, I guess, convince John to go to Tony's place. So they go. I mean, he is no less understanding or any less angry. No. He's still at an 11 yeah. with a shotgun. Yep. He's they, they, so they go to Tony's sad bachelor pad oh, uh, and, they, and they find the place completely empty. They find the crucifix that was over his bed, like desecrated, like jammed into the wall, like stabbed. Through it's the just wall. like everybody in this fucking movie has a drinking problem. Everybody has a drinking. And this is not the end of it because these are all teenagers, supposedly teenagers. And everybody's just like, get me a beer. Get me a drink. Yeah. Don't you have a shift to work at the hospital? Oh, yeah. And grown ass adults like offer him alcohol later on mm-hmm. in um, the craziest scene of the movie, which <laughs> I think that's the eighth time I've said that. Yeah, it just it's it's this is an escalation of madness. So but they are also watching Cemetery of Terror. They yeah. watch Cemetery of Terror to pass the time. Um, so regrettably. Michael takes the time to change out of his PJs. And that's the last we see of him. And that is the last we will see of him. Yep. The thing but, is, but he actually leaves the pajama pants on. <laughs> that's right. He when puts, he puts jeans on. He puts the pants on over the over the PJs. Now, uh, I don't know about you. Uh, jeans, I do not wear baggy jeans. I wear regular jeans like everybody else. And I can't imagine having like sweatpants on underneath <laughs> them. <laughs> it, is, it would look weird on top of yeah. it all. Like, they just fit very strangely. It might and look he, like he, you're. And he tucks his shirt in, no belt. No. And, and the thing is, is up to this now, up to this point, like. Also, he's putting on Tony's pants. <laughs> that's right. It's we're lucky they fit. Um. Everybody in this movie at the from this point on is going to be screaming like everybody screams. All of their lines are delivered at a scream. It is like we are watching demons, too. Like everybody is going to scream even when they don't have to. And listen, they paid for all of those blanks, all that ammunition. They're going to use every <laughs> single one of oh them. Oh, my God. Yes, they are. So as they're hanging out waiting, uh, Tony does the whole head through the TV thing again in front of John and he tells him that Virgil is the killer. So from this point on, we're at about an hour and 10 minutes into an, into a, into a 90 minute movie. So Virgil was mentioned at the very beginning of the movie. This is the, like the next time we're going to hear his name. And I believe it's about the last time we're going to hear his name. And And there is no indication at any point that either of them have become possessed. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, so now John is convinced because they've got to go and they've got to save another one of their friends, uh, Robert. Because he makes uh, he makes the rose float up in the air. That's right. He does all sorts of like supernatural stuff. When I thought, is Tony magic? Tone, uh, he, uh, t- yeah, let's just go with that. You're going to have to. Yeah, I mean, there's who cares? Yeah, Why not? A lot of this. Yeah. You're doing yourself a favor watching this. If you just go. That's, yeah, sure. <laughs> OK, so John pulls a gun out of his waistband, asks Michael, you know how to use this? And the answer is absolutely not. Nope, because he's going to use it. And he will demonstrate that over and over again. He's going to use it dangerously. So now they have to go and save Robert, who is drunk and wearing... Very, very drunk. Wearing no pants. He is, is... This is where we get a little comedy. Things get a little light. They drag him yeah, out. None of the nudity in this movie is is titillating. It is all very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there's more of it than you're expecting. So everybody's an alcoholic in this movie. And, and so they are trying to get 
Robert to go into to get into the car with them. But he's like, I'm standing out here in my underwear. I need to get pants. I'm going to go get pants. And they're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. You're not going anywhere, mister. And so Michael has two pairs on. Why don't he just give him one? Jesus, I didn't even think of that. He could just give him one of his pants. Mm -hmm. So he goes into the place to get Robert pants. And John threatens him with the shotgun, telling him to get in the car, which he does by climbing through the window. And so now isn't this when he screams at him? Do you believe in Satan? That's yeah, that's that's the part that's coming up. So so now with Robert in the car and Michael gone, this is a like they know that they've got to protect this guy to keep him alive. This is the part where John's like, oh, sweet. The uh, the bodega's open. I'm going to go over there and buy some yeah. smokes. Got to get some Marlboros. Yeah, some more specifically Marlboro yeah. Reds. But he's got the shotgun with him. And so the guy, I, this, I think this scene is actually kind of good. It's pretty because it's goofy as hell, but it works. It's out of nowhere. So he goes in, he's got the shotgun. The guy thinks he's being robbed. And so he gives him the cigarettes. But at no point does John realize that that's what's going on. It's just, even though he is holding a giant gun <laughs> and he's just like, oh, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for giving me these for free. Yep. So in his absence, uh, uh, Robert kind of wakes up and uh, evil Tony is like stalking around the car and he reaches in with a knife and he cuts his throat. And so, you know, now and what is the worst special effects I have ever seen? It's, it's one of the, one of the, one of the, the lamer ones. In the, in the Screaming movie. Matt George was not there for reshoots. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, he gets him and then he just sort of like collapses into the, into the back seat. Now here's the thing about evil Tony. He's kind of invisible. Yeah, kind of is the key words here because John can see him, but he also can't see him. Yeah, like it's it's there. There's, if that makes any sense, and it doesn't, because we do this with the red eyes also. Like the red eyes are supposed to blind Michael, but sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Everything gets a little inconsistent, and and this is one of the times because like Robert's dead in the back of the car, and John is just like hanging out, smoking butts, and um, Michael gets the red eye like killer pov thing and he sees him like going he's flopping around the hall trying to get down the stairs like yeah. rolling down the stairs <laughs> too, too drunk to fuck and serious he, he, he uh he's like he gets outside and he's screaming for john who is oblivious he's in the car and this is the part where john suddenly looks into the into the the rear view and evil tony's in the back making like monster faces at him and that's but also kind of still giving you goofy tony face <laughs> He's, he's giving him, and for that I thank him. He's giving him Tony face with the screaming Mad George like makeup yeah. appliance on. And him. again, I will say this: the the Tony makeup, the Virgil makeup, it actually looks pretty good. By the end of the movie, here it looks a little shitty. By the end of the movie, it looks pretty good. Right, because it's it's a bit of a progression. It's it's it, by the the last part of the movie, he's like desiccated and fucked up looking. It's really good, and it's that kind of like gooey, rubbery effect that like screaming yeah. Mad George is kind of known for. But yeah, like he's got like the sunken eyes and they're all fucked up and he yells, do you believe in Satan? I laughed out loud. I have seen this movie so many goddamn times. It's the funniest line in the movie. And uh, at that part, like like John gets out and he's like prancing around the car looking for invisible evil Tony. And like Michael is just like standing off to the side, like telling him like. Be careful, which is a really strange thing to, to well, say. Well, he's just blind firing a shotgun everywhere. Yeah. Apparently, this is he. They had like one shell left, 
and he turned and fired it like at the camera, oh. which of course they really like ruins the shot, obviously, because yeah. even though it's a it's a blank, it's still you know there's, yeah there's gas explosion. and shit inside the, the um, shell. So they had to go out and find. They were like, we had we found someone who had a couple shells of like blank shells, and I was like, you're just buying random like you Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Jesus. This is like kamikaze filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing it, doing it uh, like on the fly. But uh, yeah. So, so Tony, evil, evil Tony makes himself uh, visible to John, who then like shoots him with a shotgun and knocks him over. And then he's like, it's a real madcap moment. It's like, it's a real, like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he popped up and booped him on the nose. (laughs) Like it has that kind of vibe. to Yeah. Uh, he he and so John's like prancing around, jumping up and down, and he, he gets into the car for some reason. He's climbing through the car and he does the ultimate rookie mistake where he sticks his head out the window and evil Tony stabs him with the knife from below. And this is such a fucking cool kill. It's like the scene in the prowler where like the guy I believe gets, he said Ruben Galindo said this was one of his favorite shots. Yeah, because he gets stabbed f- basically through the mouth from like underneath, and you can see if you're watching closely, you can actually see the appliance kind of like extend inside of his mouth. Yep. So it looks as though the, the knife is like passing through it. It's it's a legitimately very cool effect. Um, and that's it for that's it for John. And so now it's also it for cool effects. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that was really the hero shot. And so now. Michael flees on foot. Virgil, listen, he cannot seem to find or make his way down a flight of stairs, but he can run down a street blind firing a gun behind him with no problem. Yeah. Evil Tony loses the knife somehow at this point, I think. Um, I think when he shoots him, he knocks it out of his hand. That's right. Yeah. So now Michael's running down the streets of Mexico City being pursued by invisible evil Tony, who's driving John's car. And he gets waylaid by some cops who arrest one him. of whom calls him toilet, face. toilet face, come here, toilet face. He says such, you a know, weird. that classic American uh, phrase. Yeah. And so, so, but then the car that he says, he's like, I'm the, the, the red car is trying to kill me. And so the cops turn and like, there's the red car. And then they go to look at it and like all the bodies flop out of it. And in this, in this time, um, Michael again flees. And um, as he's running, he's being like haunted by visions of his dead friends with like the evil Tony's knife, like stuck in their head and shit. Um, But we also get a little, little but it's like a real kind of gauzy montage of like, of like everybody like, Oh, why, why have you killed me, Michael? It's that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but it's also set to and a everyone really... looks like the little girl from Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got the like the blacked out eyes and shit. Yeah. It's set to a fucking awesome synthy oh. uh, song that we're going to hear again later on. I absolutely love it. Um, so Michael flees to Alex's house while she's having dinner with some foreign dignitaries. This is insane. <laughs> Her father is the Monopoly guy. Yeah. Uh, fucking twirly curly mustache and all yep and he's where he's also he's wearing the tuxedo and they've got like this basically this dude from uh mexico presumably who who invites michael, we'll call him senator yes who they invite who invites michael to have dinner with them 
Now, Michael, it should be said at this point, Michael is ranting and raving. He has a gun in his hand. He is soaked in sweat and his shirt is stained. Yep. And he looks like he's about to pass out. He's like pale and he looks like he's dying. Yep. And what do you do? You offer him some wine. Yes. Yeah. So in the middle of dinner. Well, you seem like a troubled young man holding a gun. Would you like a drink? (laughs) Let's calm those nerves. So Michael gets the red eyes again. And he sees uh, like basically POV of evil Tony, like coming up on, on Alex's house. So he whips out the gun and he just starts shooting this thing all over the place. Yeah. Blind firing all around the room. Yep. Uh, and then he uh, then he pull the he pulls a Patty Hearst and he kidnaps Alex for some and reason in, in an old timey Rolls Royce. Yes. And he's like, you got to come with me. I'll explain later, which is like it's like Daddy Warbucks fucking car from Andy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And and. She was probably going to be attacked by evil Tony next. It's really, really not clear. This all seems very random. But yeah, they get into a fancy, like, just ragtop car with the top down. Uh, and they and they drive out until they just kind of stop. And I think, actually, they stop at the, the, the place where John was killed. And they have to find the knife. And and he says, so how will I know it? And he says, it's got demon marks on it. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I know. But at the same time, like, if I found the knife, I'd be like, be like, oh, demon marks. Demon marks. There it is. Yeah. It's a so, lion. Yep. Yeah, so they're, they're looking around all over the ground. And uh, evil Tony is now like. Uh, casually resting his his body on the uh on the on yeah evil tony's got he's at this point he's got a real kind of like the leprechaun vibe yep. to him yeah and so uh but this is when i was like okay evil tony actually looks pretty cool now yeah because we get some close-ups of him and the makeup's really good uh and and so they 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 find the knife and they flee to some sort of warehouse for basically what is the final showdown with tony so, you might remember it from uh, the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. So uh, Michael. They're man- in the foundry. Yep. They run, they run through this and Michael manages to get uh, Alex out of the warehouse alive. And he tells her that he loves her, yeah. uh, but he has to go back and fight evil Tony. Uh, but now like shit's flying all over the place. Like, you know, like psychokinetic type stuff like ghosts are showing throwing shit at him gives you the impression that there are pas like just out of frame yeah, just fucking chucking crates at him gleefully throwing garbage at him it's so fucking funny and so michael finally faces evil tony down and he gets this idea to trap him under some heavy shit but he's got to like maneuver him into position so he can drop it on him uh, and then he does and it works evil tony is trapped but he fakes him out by like making him think that not evil Tony uh, is back. And then as Michael gets closer, he uses his mind to like lift him up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Michael, of course, is doing the touch your temples thing. He's got the red eyes. And then uh, Alex comes in with the uh, the world's most ineffective cop who he's been kind of floating around throughout this movie in scenes that I just have not really thought to mention because they're meaningless and they don't go anywhere. And he also calls Alex baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is really weird. What ends up happening is Alex gets the knife and she stabs evil Tony with it. And it causes Michael to fall to his death, but it also kills evil Tony. It kills evil Tony. And I have to say, 
is it really a tragedy? Because let's be honest, Tony didn't exactly have a lot going for him before <laughs> he got possessed either. He had some problems. Yeah. At, if anything, if his if his apartment was anything to be judged, I think she did him a favor. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so now. Evil, evil Tony's gone. Regular Tony is back and he apologizes just before dying. And this is when the part where like the cop is sort of like consoles her and he's like, hey, baby, I'm sorry or something like that. It's really, really weird. And line. it's like, did no. So one of the things that uh, uh, Ruben Glendo says is that um, John Michael Bischoff, one of the, the things about having him there was that he could kind of correct some of the dialogue if it sounded a little wonky or clunky. Yeah. Like if it was, you know, it's not American English. And so I don't maybe he was in the bathroom when they shot that or something, because <laughs> that is a very familiar thing to say to someone that you yeah. don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah. So now we cut to the funeral. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just a funeral scene. But Alex has the rose that he gave her originally. And it's, you know, it's it's withered, you know, because it's a fucking rose. And so well, it's she, a magic rose. It's, a, it's the, like the end of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it's the rose. And so she like takes it and throws it onto his coffin as it's being, being lowered. And when it lands, it's perfectly alive and brand new again. And so she, don't worry, everybody. Everything's OK. They still love each other, except he's dead. Yep. And she like looks to the sky and smiles. Roll credits. Play you that fucking bang. That badass song. It's called Don't Panic. Uh, and it's composed and performed by the film star, John Michael Bischoff. Now, why this has not been released on vinyl is is, is confusing and it is a shame. I would bet that the original materials are just are just gone. They just don't exist. The only anymore. excuse that because this this is a song that just I wish we got the full thing because we don't even get to hear the whole song. It plays over. No. The and it sounds like he recorded this like in his bedroom with like a fucking little MIDI player. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, like if it were around today, he'd be singing it into his phone. Like it's, yeah. it's that quality, but it's such a cool, it's, it's awkward and it's weird, but it's also really cool. It's perfect. It fits I, it, it perfect. Yep. I love it. I love it. That's it. That's don't panic. God, this movie is so fucking good. It is. It's a special thing. It is a really, really fun, very stupid, very, very stupid movie. But, but I'll tell you what, I thank fucking God I, I just put this on one day because it has opened up a whole new uh, realm of cinema for me. Yeah. Yeah, because like, I mean, you've re- like you've really followed up like I've I've watched like the Vacations of Terror movies and I've watched the uh, like the other Ruben Galindo movies. But like you've kind of d- gone deep, like you've watched the Rene Cardona's yep. and uh, like, yeah, that's uh, it's great stuff. I mean, it's I mean, it's not all great. Some of it sucks, but. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, can't all be gems Nah, but it's also it's it's really weird because it, it it's a whole world of like genre movies that for whatever reason, I've never really watched until just recently. And it's mostly because they just haven't been available. Like this is not a movie that was ever. And you can find most of this shit on Tubi. But, you know, before that, it was like Shutter had a couple of them, but mostly whatever they had from the, whatever the license with Vinegar Syndrome. was. Yeah. And that remains. Um, I have tried to sort of track down some of the other movies that John Michael Bischoff is in because he he acts in a couple more where he's the lead. He directed an action movie uh, that I can't remember the name of. You look it up fairly easily. This stuff is not available anywhere. 
and it's probably there's probably it's probably not in English anyways. My Spanish is not good, so I don't know. I would love to see it. I have a lot of fun with this. Thank God it's made. It was made. God bless you, Ruben Galindo Jr. And God bless you, Vinegar Syndrome, for for bringing us this shit. Yep. So, what's next? Oh man, it is October, and we are going to be running through three versions of Halloween. And guess what, everybody? I have very strong feelings about all three of them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it probably comes as no surprise, because uh, if anyone has learned anything about me, it's that I have very strong feelings about things in general. You got you have you have takes. I, I sure I do. Say. Yeah. We're going to be starting with uh, 2018. Is that what's, when that one came out? Yep. Yeah, that um, you, you liked that one. I do. I and I'll tell you what. I know that they are not popular at all. I know that people not feel, with me. They're not uh, people, especially the last one. I have a very different take on those movies than I think than I think other people do. Um, and that's why I tore to give them a pass. Originally, the way I wanted to do this was like we would just say like, oh, hey, all right. Now our next movie is Halloween. And everybody would be like, hooray, 1978. And then we just do this one. And then we'd go, OK, our next one is uh, Halloween and not say which yeah, I ruined the bit. I ruined <laughs> no, the bit. No, but also that makes it really hard to promote upcoming episodes if we're just alluding that every week we're doing the John Carpenter Halloween. So uh, which I would happily just do the John Carpenter Halloween three times. <laughs> yeah yeah because i got i've probably got hours upon hours of shit to say yep. about that movie so we're starting with uh 2018 and we're working backwards yeah, yep yep so uh yep we'll see you uh we'll see you next time and uh in a week i believe yep halloween <laughs>